This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast. How the devil are you? I am blooming freezing. (laughs) The weather here in the UK has taken a bit of a turn this week, and it is cold, cold, cold. As I speak to you, I am wearing, I think, four layers, a scarf and fingerless gloves, and I have to confess to having fired up the little plug-in electric heater that is under my desk all in an effort to not put the heating on and be warming up the rest of the house when no one else is at home. So who said climate action wasn't glamorous, hey? (laughs) Now, as promised last week in this episode, I am absolutely delighted to welcome back the fabulous Laura Young, who joined us a few weeks ago in the run-up to COP26 to give us a beginner's guide to exactly what it was, what it is and how it all works. Laura works for Tear Fund, an organisation that tackles poverty and injustice in some of the world's poorest countries through sustainable development. And she was at COP as one of the official observers of all the negotiations that were happening there in the Blue Zone. And Laura has very kindly come back on the podcast to share with us her own personal experiences of being at an actual COP, which I think is, you know, for a lot of people, uh, probably a once in a lifetime experience and for it to be in her home city of Glasgow as well. And also to give us her take on the outcome. And I know there have been a lot of different takes and you are forgiven for feeling confused about was that, and here we go with that joke again, a good cop or a bad cop. Hey, hey. Um, But Laura, you know, gives us her take um, from having been there, having witnessed the negotiations, having seen just how blooming difficult I think it can be to get agreement on any kind of level with all the different countries that were there. Um, So it's absolutely um, fascinating and delightful as ever to chat to her. And I really hope you enjoy this one. Take care. Laura, welcome back to the Sustainable podcast after what I'm sure must have been an absolute whistle stop few weeks. How how are you feeling? We're recording this. You had two weeks at COP and then a week on holiday, I think, to recover. And now you're straight back into the office. How are you feeling? Oh, the week off was lovely. I bet. I saw all your gorgeous photos. You were up to the Highlands, weren't you? Yes, so I went up to the Highlands and kind of hilariously, I decided to do quite a bit of litter picking. Because I thought, if there's, I was like, if there's anything I can do, it's a little bit. And I'm making a difference. Even if COP went the way it did, I can still, um, yeah. So, yeah. but it was lovely. And now it's sort of bizarre because I'm from Glasgow, working in Glasgow. And it feels a bit like the circus has left town. Oh, really? Well, kind of like still the same streets, but definitely less going on. It's just okay. an interesting vibe. 
it was good thank you oh so you really kindly came on pre-cop to talk to us about how like what it is how it all works all that kind of thing and you explained that you were going um with the organization you work for who are tier fund is that right and you were going into the blue zone which is where all the big you know discussions and and official stuff happens so what was it what was it like was it what you expected not what you expected better worse like just in terms of being there yeah I mean good question I think hilariously I now know what cop is <laughs> you know I feel <laughs> I feel you've really got to have kind of been in one I bet yeah to, to kind of get the full grips but you know what at first it was kind of funny because it was in this big exhibition center where I used to go to concerts so it's oh, just really? a bit bizarre being like oh you know seen one direction here oh you've seen this bit <laughs> to to out myself there but you know so part of it was just bizarre you know seeing some quite famous people whether it was world leaders politicians here in the UK or kind of eco celebrities whoever Mm. it might be um but it was also really interesting to just see a bunch of people from different backgrounds both like around the world but also industry Mm. and kind of just see them all amalgamating for this big thing and for me personally it was just like a great opportunity to be there I think one of the things we know is it wasn't great representation particularly for younger people for Mm. women and so it was great to be a young woman there to just experience some Mm. of it and and kind of be able to advocate so yeah it was good really good obviously I've kind of got mixed feelings about all of it but I'm, I'm definitely coming out of it thinking it was a personal good experience yeah and your role was um, what they call an observer role. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so there's, I mean, observing to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. So really the point in having observers is to kind of be there to witness what's going on, to be holding the people accountable who are in the rooms, to make sure it's a fair process. Mm. You know, you can kind of legally see why they've put them in to, to really kind of be there to, to be the voice of civil society and the kind of regular everyday people so that it's not just politicians or delegates from around the world kind of in a room together with no one knowing what's going on. Yes. And also partly to to network, to have conversations, to try and campaign while in there. COP mm. is a two-week thing, so there's plenty of time to try and influence. So that was the main kind of role that I was doing. So some days it was a lot of sitting about on Twitter, waiting for decisions to happen. Other days it was buzzing around, meeting people, having conversations. And then other days it was being a spokesperson or, you know, giving comments about the kind of activity. So it was a real variety of stuff once you were in there. We even did some like stunts because it was two weeks long. So you could do some stunts and have some chants and get posted. Stunts? All that kind of Come stuff. on, tell us more. Yeah. We did a really amazing one in the second week where we had a lot of our colleagues from the Global South and they dressed up as kind of bailiffs and had this huge poster and it was like an overdue bill of $100 billion talking about the $100 billion of climate climate finance. And they had a huge megaphone and they were, you know, chanting in one of the halls, you know, have you seen the world leaders? Where are they? Overdue bill, you know, don't let them leave before they pay. And it was really powerful and it got picked up in so much media and it was just great to kind of hear the voices of those from countries who this money is is crucial so there was lots of stunts like that going on you know people doing things like that or doing die-ins that was quite a common one you know people lying on the floor pretending to you know making statements this is all happening in the in the blue zone where all the politicians yeah wow yeah so it was happening kind of ever it was a huge site you know it was massive there was you know huge areas to just work there was areas with side events there was 
the things called the pavilions, so kind of like an exhibition-style trade show-type yeah. look. And then there was, of course, the plenaries, which are what you most commonly see on TV, the kind of big mm. UN-style desks everywhere. And so there was all different locations and bits to walk between. And so there was a lot was going on in and around the areas. And, you know, influential people were floating about, so you could catch them and try Did and you? tell them Did a bit. You, like, I think I wouldn't be brave enough. But were you brave enough to sort of rock up? and? Oh, yeah, because part of it, it was funny. All my colleagues who are older, so I was the youngest by quite a bit. They'll kill me for saying that, but I was. And, you know, I just had this thing that I was like, you know, there's 25,000 people here at COP. We've all got the same pass. I have just as much right to be in here as mm. X, Y, or Z. I'm going to go up and say hi. I'm going to go introduce myself. Of course I am. Because it's like, what? Like when when would I ever do that in yes. your life? Probably never. But you're in this big zone and you're there because you care about the same things. Mm. So, yeah, I just went for it. Um, it Who did great. you chat to then? Well, interestingly, for me personally, you know, I bumped into my MSP, my MP. And had a chat with them. I Amazing. met Nicola Sturgeon, first minister of Scotland. So we had a meeting together. Also, again, a lot of them were kind of politicians, but I guess that's kind of a lot of who were there. Hmm. So Andy Burnham from yes, uh, Manchester. Manchester, Ed Miliband was oh, yeah. there. Um, you know, some kind of just like really interesting people. Mm. Vanessa Nakati, you know, kind of like famous climate mm. activists were floating around. So I just kind of went and said, hello, the only person, unfortunately, I didn't meet was Leonardo DiCaprio, but I think he was a little bit busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And so when you're in there, you say you're, you're observing and it's your job to kind of almost hold them to account. Like, were you able, like, this, this is probably the most naive question, like, could you stick your hand up and go, excuse me, just to represent, you know, whoever, like, have you thought yeah. about the repercussions of X, Y, or Z, or was it not that kind of? Not really. And I guess this is something that is a bit of a disappointment coming out of COP. So I'll give a bit of background. There's a independent research group within the UN called RINGO. It's an acronym for something I can't remember, but it's RINGO. And they did some stats around COP. And one of the things they realised is technically this should have been the most inclusive COP when you look at how many people were invited and where they were from. Because there was, I, I made a tweet about it with all the correct percentages, but it was, you know, something ridiculous like 70% more observers got tickets and right. 80% more media. Like, so there was lots more people invited. But what then happens is rooms fill up, which right. means not everyone can get inside. Okay. COVID made that worse because obviously yes. we're not cramming rooms full anymore. So one of the things that actually was a real criticism of this call was there was quite a few big moments that unless you were an official country negotiator mm. delegate, you didn't get in the room. And so there was actually lots of rooms that you couldn't even go in. I think I saw a tweet from you saying, oh, we couldn't get in. And then you somehow managed to sneak in the back way or something, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a lot of it was just being like, how do I get into this room? Because otherwise I'm just yeah. going to be watching it on a laptop. But one of the things that I guess you can't do as much kind of hand up, I'd like to have a conversation mm, or I'd like to ask yeah. a question. But I guess there's kind of two ways that you can. So one of the areas within the Blue Zone was the delegates' offices. And so you could just rock up. You could either email ahead of time asking for a time to meet, mm -hmm. or you could just rock up and go, hello, I'd love to chat to someone from the UK delegation, the Swedish delegation, the Brazilian mm -hmm. delegation, mm -hmm. any chance I can talk to someone. So that's one way. Or you just catch people when they're sitting around having a yeah. coffee and you kind of bump into people. And mm. that's a chance to maybe share about, you know, 
I was there with Tear Fund. We had some petitions we'd done in the last year, so we could talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or there were some organizations who had research that had just been launched, so we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about that. And so there was opportunities to kind of have those conversations. And, you know, I think what we did see, so, you know, an example of this was we had a few meetings, or Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland, had a few meetings during COP with Global South Voices and a lot of the themes that were coming up were around loss and damage money. Mm, yes. Because of those meetings, she made a pledge, not just for a million pounds worth of loss and damage money, but then doubled it. And that's because she met with people on the side of COP in these kind of meetings and decided to make that change. And so there's lots of stuff that did happen because enough people had conversations with the people who are in charge. And, you know, that's really kind of great to to see so there's lots of different ways you can influence it but it's definitely not as simple as you can kind of stick your hands up and ask yeah Yeah. no but a good question and I think it's it was something I didn't really know until I'd been yeah and so I want to dive in in a minute into the you know good cop bad cop how what were the outcomes all that kind of thing but was there anything that sort of you know sat in there listening to into all these sort of high level discussions was there anything that really shocked you I think there was lots of, unfortunately, there was lots of really harrowing and quite emotional comments and mm. stories told by low Pacific island nations or developing countries with just, I mean, to name a few would not even be doing it justice, you know, yeah. but there was just so many. So that was hard to kind of be hearing the fact that there was all these countries just facing all of these different challenges and you just think and here's us in this big fancy exhibition centre you know and so that's kind of difficult Mia Motley who's the Prime Minister of Barbados was oh, kind one. of powerful yeah. yeah and so I think that kind of summed it up where you know particularly around this conversation around 1.5 you know she was like this is measured in lives like mm. that that's the reality so that was kind of hard and um, I think there, there was also something hard about there's been a lot of discussion around the last day it ran over and one of the last things that happened was we had kind of what was supposed to be quite a powerful statement of moving away to from coal and gas and fossil fuels watered down considerably Mm. and kind of at the last minute it was watered down even further and that was hard that was hard to listen to it was hard to sit in a room so I was sitting in a secondary plenary with basically all the other observers and there was just like a silence that fell across the room when it was announced because everyone was just like I cannot believe we've got mm. to the end and Which like yeah and unfortunately the result is it's well we could argue this but we'd potentially risk losing the whole thing mm. so we just mm. have to accept it so like that kind of stuff's hard listening to Jeff Bezos give a talk was excruciating like even just stuff like why is he there well, why was no he there need, yeah. why was he there there's no need when we're talking about struggling to get climate finance and we've got the world's richest yeah. man, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh, I roll, get out. So, you know, there was stuff that was hard because it was hypocritical and it was frustrating. And then there was just stuff that was hard because it was emotional or it was mm. frustrating. And yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that was quite hard to listen to. Yeah, I bet. I, I mean, this is, this is the most ridiculous analogy, but like I've been trying to get our local council doing stuff. And once you kind of realise how kind of multi-layered I mean this is on you know that the smallest scale but how how many different opinions and voices and you know all this you've got and and you know how there's some big gaps maybe in some people's understanding and education and and you know all these different layers that are above them and things 
I, I can only imagine that the scale of the diplomacy and the politics and stuff yeah. that goes on, like it, it does amaze me that we ever reach any kind of, you know, yeah. national, international, whatever agreement. Did it did it feel like that? Did it feel like, God, oh, this is like fading yeah. treacle? It's funny, I'm gonna give an even more ridiculous analogy, but I remember this is kind of what what I felt it was like. I remember the first ever year. I watched Eurovision, but understood politics. Right. And suddenly you just go, now I get it. Now yeah. I get why. Now I totally understand the process. I totally understand why X, Y, and Z countries are right, voting right, for right. each other. And I now yeah. understand why the UK will never win. And that, you know, <laughs> but, but it's weird because you suddenly, you look at something like Eurovision and you think, oh, it's just a fun competition mm. for music. But actually underneath it, there's just this politics. And it just means that some of it's, dest- you know, it's destiny mm. before you've mm. even done it. And I think with COP, from the outside, you think, surely we just understand that the world is burning. It feels like a no-brainer, doesn't it? it? Like, bang your heads together. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, when you get in the room, you realise this country is solely reliant on this type Mm -hmm. of energy or this country is actually this. And, you know, actually, geographically, they sit next to or politically, they sit next to Suddenly, it all kind of begins Mm -hmm. to make sense Mm -hmm. as to why we've never had such... You know, we've never had progress in the mm. way that we need it. You know, we've never had quick enough progress. Yes. And also, you start to realise that there is a huge part of COP that is hypocritical, or there's a huge part of COP that's, you know, there was a kind of shocking article that came out where someone had looked at all the different delegations. So each country. And so when you break it down, if you were to add up everyone with a pass from a fossil fuel country, they would have made up, oh, sorry, a company, they would have made up the biggest country delegation by far. And you think, well, also that's probably why it's not going that well, because you've got 500 odd people mm. in there who've got an agenda that's not actually in line with God. Some would say, I guess, why were they even invited? But I guess that there has to be a transition away from fossil fuels. So therefore they are involved to some extent. But yeah. And I think that's the big question. Yeah. And I think when that came out, you think, well, there are people in here who don't the vast majority of people were good guys not bad guys Mm, but mm. there was just people in there with their own agenda and people there with power and authority who were there for their own reasons when you start to peel back the layers you do understand a lot more about why the outcome was what it was you then understand why the outcome was so amazing when you realize what it was up against right so let's dig into that because Mm. So what for, for, I mean, I'm sure people listening, you know, are interested in this sort of thing and will have read around it and seen the outcomes and all that sort of thing. But what was the it was it was billed as our best. What was it? Our last best chance. Yeah. Um, what what was the outcome? Yeah. So the thing that when you have a cop, there's a basically a document that comes out at the end of it. and It's just the agreement. Mm-hmm. So this one's called the Glasgow Climate Pact. Mm-hmm. And really the process throughout COP is something is drafted and it's called draft one and then throughout the two weeks negotiations happen and it all gets whittled down and edited and moved and you might hear people talking about square brackets so square brackets are during the redrafting phase stuff starts to appear in square brackets and that's an indication that that's not an agreed upon thing or something right. with that phrase or that word and so you have a document kind of made it then goes through this redrafting process and then right at the end you have the final agreement mm, mm. and it's gaveled away. So we'll actually, Alok Sharma, the president, kind of gaveled yeah. 
each part away and it, it means everyone's agreed to it. So in that Glasgow pact, there was, you know, some good stuff. We also saw kind of other commitments that came out of the two weeks. You might have heard the stuff about deforestation mm. by 2030, methane, coal, fossil fuel funding overseas, loss and damage money. That's all kind of like added extras, really. But this kind of agreement was just about making sure that countries continue to look at how they're going to be cutting emissions, mm. looking at reporting every year instead of every five, and then also looking at the big part was, I think it was number 36, if I remember correctly. And it was all about kind of fossil fuels and how mm. we're going to begin to move away from them. And so this document is something that countries have to agree to. And every country did agree to it. But on the last day, there was this huge process of countries basically stepping up, unmuting their little mic in the big room and saying, and basically in the spirit of... <laughs> Laura, you might be able to see, but Laura's now frantically waving her arms around because she's in a, an office with a motion-sensitive light. I love it. <laughs> you to turn it back on. Um, so there was kind of this process at the end of countries basically saying, in the spirit of getting this done, we're going to agree to this document but we want to say why we don't like it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it gave a chance to really see both sides and see the picture, but we did have an agreement. We did have countries signing up to it. It's the kind of, you know, mm. signing up to the agreement and that's now going to be put into action, put into work until we have the next COP. And there was some good stuff in it and there was some not so good stuff in it, but I think on par, especially having a week and a bit to reflect, mm. my reflection is it's nowhere near what we needed We've not seen justice yet, but it's a yeah. huge step. I can't believe it's a huge step, but it is a huge step yeah. from where we were. And we just need to keep building on that. Yeah. I mean, it was really difficult to get a sense, I guess, of, of how to feel about it, because especially for anybody who was on Twitter, you know, you'd be um, or you'd be seeing articles that were kind of the government spin on it. And obviously they're wanting to put a very positive thing on it and look at what we've achieved. And then you're seeing tweets from the likes of Greta and a lot of the youth activists who, you know, this this massive sense of of rage and injustice and frustration that, you know, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was really, you know, and, and as ever, I, you know, the truth lies in between those two things, yeah. doesn't it? But that underrepresentation from the global south from youth activists were you did you get a sense of that in there and how important yeah I mean small things like looking around I was the youngest by quite far it's just lots of stale pale male yeah and it was true you know yeah. and, and I think we need to acknowledge that I mean partly the reason it's sad that there wasn't as many younger people and global south representatives is because these are the minds that are not corrupted by, yeah. you know, tied up in oil or have had the mm. political pressure. You know, these are people who simply just care, like just mm. care because mm. it's their future or it's their current, it's their present. And so mm. it was really obvious to kind of look around. Part of that is because of COVID. Part of that is because of it being in Glasgow. And guess what? I'm disappointed that Glaswegians kind of outpriced a lot of people with accommodation. But I guess also it's just because there was lots of organisations there who I think need to turn around to themselves and say, guess what, we had 10 tickets and we gave all 10 tickets away to white males. What do we need to yes. do next? Yeah. Like, it's also a responsibility of every organisation. You know, the organisation I work for, Tier Fund, we, before even deciding how many, before knowing how many we had, 
we knew we were giving half away to our Global South activists. Mm. That was just a decision we made before even going forward. And then I think that's what more organisations need to do. Mm. They need to be like, actually, part of my frustration was there's been male, pale and stale people there who, guess what, this was their 26th time at call. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like, yeah. Give, it, give someone else a chance. Yeah, like, you've done this 26th you know, time and yeah, you're not where we need to not, be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, try something different. Exactly. And so I think part of it is that it's about having that fresh perspective and voice and we just need more of it. And mm. I think the panels where there was indigenous voices younger voices you just really did feel like they brought so much more mm. into the conversation than basically a panel of people saying the same thing I mean I, I don't understand how anyone could have I mean even just watch just watching it on social media the 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 speech that you referenced from the prime minister of um, Barbados and how you can and, and it must be even more powerful sitting in there how you can sit in there and then not or then you know try and then go after your own company's yeah. self-interest or whatever. I, I honestly don't understand how, you know, some of these fossil fuel CEOs and things, how they can look at themselves in the mirror, how they can look their kids in the eye, how they can. And I, yeah, I just find that astounding. Yeah, I think some of it is in conversation with people from the fossil fuel industry, they do actually believe that they're part of the solution. And you're like, well, you just aren't yet. You, mm. you could be if you decide to stop drilling and start moving yes. away from yeah. fossil fuels. But, and I think some of them, it's a shame I think some of them have actually kid themselves on that they have this power and have this ability to change things but they just aren't doing it and mm. you know I, yeah I think some people are just disillusioned with it and it's a shame that they took up space in this conference but that mm. is the reality of it yeah and you've mentioned loss and damage a few times for anyone who doesn't really understand that or hasn't come across that phrase or doesn't isn't really quite sure what it means I don't know if you're able to just give us a, a little beginner's yeah, guide to it really 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 simply it's paying for the loss and damage that a country might have experienced due to climate change already so when we talk about climate finance around COP particularly that's this 100 billion dollars a year that was pledged 12 years ago that's money to adapt and mitigate climate change in vulnerable developing countries 100 billion a year was promised 12 years ago how much has actually reached where it should so it's been the last couple of years we've just not made up the hundred billion. So we've basically missed the target. So they've now reset. Oh, so target it wasn't hundred billion every year. It was. It was. It was. So and we've done that up until the yeah, last couple of years. So, when... Yeah, and we've missed it. So now what they've done is they've said the equivalent of hundred billion a year will be met by twenty twenty five. So we've kind oh, of so given so ourselves this like we'll do it, but we need yeah. to average it out. So, but when we talk about that money, it's like investment in adaptation and mitigation of climate change but that's obviously money that's going to be spent on those two things but what about countries who have just lost stuff Mm. like are disadvantaged and so I guess an extreme way of phrasing loss and damage would be it's like reparations Mm. it's like reparations from rich countries who often have pillaged developing ones to to develop themselves and then it's just about that. It's just, it's like a debt that we owe. That's one of the phrases Nicola Sturgeon used when talking about it. She was like, it's a debt we owe to you when she was talking to these people from different mm. nations. And so that's the difference. It's almost, and what we need to push for is for it to become kind of no strings attached. Yeah. This is just money to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to fill that area that we've left, the hole we've left because of this. And that's what we need to be pushing for. But that's the main difference is it's kind of just money for the loss and the damage yeah. that a country will have experienced already. Mm. So you said, you know, you've had a... How did you feel immediately after it? Like, 
I mean, knackered, I'm sure. Yeah, knackered. <laughs> it was quite, it was a frustrating end. Mm, I was going to, you know, with that real sort of anticlimactic yeah. last minute. And just a bit bizarre, like, you know, the gavel fell and, you know, you're just looking around and there's chairs being taken away, posters coming down, people packing <laughs> up their tables. You know, it's really, it's quite surreal to think, like, that was it. That's yeah. cool. We've been right. left yeah. on this rubbish end and everyone's away. Like, the circus is mm. gone. And because it ran over a day as well, yes. all of the big pavilions, which were these kind of exhibition centres, those got packed up on the Friday night. Like, mm. those didn't even last. You yeah, know, and you yeah, think yeah. that this the circus part of it really did leave as yeah. soon as it could. And you think, actually, so I think it was a sad feeling. It was a bit of like, just a bit disappointing, but also realising that, and I think this was something I thought of personally, the way I talk about this after will have a big impact. Mm. So if I come out of this defeatist, and negative, pessimistic, like mm. screw it, it's too late, we're never going to get anywhere with that. Mm. So it was also, I had to have a talk with myself to be like, how are you going to communicate this? How are we going to frame this? Yeah. It's what, yeah, and it's because we can't frame it as a loss because simply we can't lose at this because that's people's lives. Like it's a privilege to be like, oh yeah, it wasn't successful or whatever. And you know, I think that was one of the messages we got from a lot of our kind of global south friends was them saying, This is all we've got, so it can't be yes. a failure, it just can't be. We have to keep building on it. Let's not just don't count it as a fail, just count it as what it is and let's keep moving. Yeah, and I think, you know, that is so important because it's very, very easy, isn't it, to feel beaten by it, to feel overwhelmed by it and to just think, what's the point? Like, what is the point of all this? And what's the point of meeting again in a year's time? And But actually, this is the mechanism that we have. Yes, it's not moving quickly enough. And I saw a great, um, I don't know if it was a tweet or something, but somebody said, governments will always be the slowest to act. So actually you know, the fact that that they are moving, albeit too slowly, kind of means that the rest of society is 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 moving in the same direction and quicker, you yeah. know? And, and I sort of thought that was quite a hope, quite an optimistic, yeah. not optimistic, but quite a, a useful way of looking at it. Yeah, because I think when people decide something, business quickly follows and then government follows again. Yes. And I think that's, you know, the important thing, you know, and there's even small examples like, Three years ago or four years ago when we had Blue Planet, mm. suddenly the world woke up to plastic. Yes. Then we slowly had businesses realise that they mm. have a role mm. to play and they're kind of chipping away at it. And just now we've now got the kind of UK banning yes. or opening up a 12-week consultation on single-use <laughs> plastics. Yeah. Now, first of all, you're just like, I roll. I can tell you in 12 minutes why we need to ban yes. it's not yes. 12 weeks. But it shows you that, you know, an awakening of an individual yes. can happen in, 60 minutes watching Blue Planet or mm. whatever your story might be but it takes years for the yeah, rest of the plan yeah. to get there we don't have years but it's accepting that that's just the way we yeah. have to do it but I think that that's quite empowering almost in that actually we don't and, and I think Greta did a you know part of what she said was something around this but you know that that actually the people with the real power i.e. us we don't have to wait for treaties and organizations and yeah you know, we we can actually just go out and make change happen and that and that you know the idea that then when we come together and stuff that's even stronger and I and I think one of the things I felt quite optimistic about this COP was the whether it was and I know we talked about this in the episode we did before and whether it was because it was in the UK and that kind of thing but the awareness around COP I didn't notice that five six years ago in Paris I didn't 
I didn't see, you know, I saw so many schools using this as an excuse or an excuse, um, you know, as, as, a, as a platform to discuss these kinds of issues. And hopefully then it will be a springboard for other things. And I saw organisations using this as, a, as that opportunity. And, um, and it was headline news pretty much for two weeks. I, I don't remember seeing that before. And no. for me, that felt really positive. And particularly when you think about how influential the UK is on the political scene globally, the fact that we're going to keep pushing into this means that we will eventually become a big powerhouse of mm. kind of green recovery. We just need to keep chipping away at that because even though the next one's not going to be here, we're now a lot more aware. You know, I was even thinking about the fact that Sky News have this dedicated half hour on climate, prime evening television. On For which you are now a presenter. <laughs> It's like it's like plugging myself, but actually, like I was even just thinking that that is amazing yeah. to see that. And I remember, I can't remember when it was. It must have been like a year ago or two when BBC put a tab on their news page of climate. I thought, yes. oh my goodness, like it's happening. You know, we're yes. beginning to see the option for watching climate news is now there. We're seeing school curriculums mm. adding this in. We're you know, and that's. That's the change we need to see to get it into people's conscious. Mm. And we're seeing that. And I think as well, it was a great excuse if one were needed for, for us as individuals to have these conversations, because I find it really difficult to have conversations with friends and family and, you know, mums in the playground and things. But actually to, to you know, even maybe after, after you know, as you said, the gavel came down to be able to, to say, oh gosh, did you see that about, wasn't that frustrating? Or I'm feeling this, or I'm feeling that. And actually those, those, everyday conversations are so important as part of changing the narrative aren't they and kind of embedding this in our consciousness exactly and that's that's what we just need more of and I think that's what we're going to keep continuing to see Mm. and that's that's where I get the hope from yeah like a lot of it is, is from that so one of the one of the big criticisms I guess of COP is that am I right in saying none of this is legally binding none of this is there's no you know come back if you don't keep to any of these things so what now I guess great question I mean we've seen more specifics come out of this COP which is good when we talk about the last kind of big one it was Paris and it was just about keeping between 1.5 and 2 really Mm. and that was quite vague it was quite big because there's a million and one ways you could do Mm -hmm. that and so it was about now we've got these kind of different side shoot off things of commitments to do with forestry methane coal whatever but also we've got more specifics in this agreement of how countries are going to move away from particular industries and and when they're going to do it we've got Mm. more net zero targets so we've got more specifics again it's not great because they're not legally binding Mm. but it's more that we can hold people accountable to and particularly for world leaders and for governments they're going to want to number one it's a political playground so they're going to want to play their part because Mm. Mm. ultimately they're going to have to show face next year but also for their own constituents or their own voters, we can now say, well, you signed up to this. So where, where are you, you know, are you going to mm. stick to it or are you not going to stick to it? You know, as a voter myself, that's something I'm going to be thinking about when the next election comes around. I'm going to be going, well, have we actually stuck to this thing that we went and agreed to? So the next thing is just about making sure that, you know, from a UK perspective, what we're doing as a country, does it align with the agreement? So mm. Lots of the stuff that we've been doing in the past five, six years hasn't been aligned with the Paris Agreement. And we've been well, even, say, even in the like two weeks oh, prior to COP, know. you know, all the, the new budget and stuff like that. So 
that I mean that frustrates the hell out of me how do we and you know and people are saying this isn't in agreement with the um, but is, is yeah. there a legal challenge for that I mean there's um client earth isn't there who a brilliant legal organization yeah. doing lots of this work is you know can we I know we, yeah. can, we can treat our MPs and all that kind of thing but is there a way of there's another yeah there's a good um, court case actually happening in December and it's by an organization called paid to pull it who are kind of taking the UK government in theory to court over fossil fuel mm. funding. So there is stuff happening where we're going, actually, no, I'm not just going to sit around mm. and let you continue to do this. Another good campaign that we've seen is the Stop Campbell one. And, mm. you know, because of some amazing campaigners, they've been chipping away. So we've now seen Nicola Sturgeon mm. come out against it. And I think the count is now we've got one Conservative MP, as well as many other parties, but we've even got a Conservative MP mm. now speaking out against it so it's kind of chipping away and saying for example the Campbell oil field does not fit in with 1.5 and it does mm. not fit in with what we've just done at COP26 yeah. we need to get this stopped and instead of just shouting that it's like okay let's try and mm. round up people who can have an influence so Nicola Sturgeon is one this Conservative MP is another the Labour Party are against it so that's great so it's like slowly chipping away and kind of saying even if we need to go through things literally one by one mm. and that's kind of what needs to happen. And so I think that's what every country needs to go away and do themselves is look at what they are doing and say, does this align with what we're wanting to do? And how do we move move away from it if it isn't? And yeah, that's that's the next step. Mm. And I guess our role as as individuals is that um communication with our own MPs, you know, yeah. communication with our county councils, whatever, at, at whatever level these decisions are being taken to kind of almost like you had that observer role to say look you know we're our eyes are on you we're watching this mm-hmm. are, and just are, are these decisions compatible with 1.5 are these you know I guess that's the question we just keep asking and and um yeah, yeah. um so Egypt because a cop happens every year doesn't it and the reason yeah. that this one was such a big deal was because we were sort of revisiting these promises that were made in Paris five years ago but now the, these promises are being revisited every year instead of every five years is that right yeah, so Egypt will be COP27. Looking forward to a two-week holiday in Sharm el-Sheikh. Are you um, going to go? Are you? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't, quite oh, amazed, like, I don't know if I've got another one in me. But, um, <laughs> There'll be so no iron brew at this one either. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to kind of see what happens at that one, see the commitments that have been made. Mm. It'll be interesting to see the progress on some of these side things as well, these kind of other commitments that were a bit more specific. Mm. So that's the next one. It will be hopefully more inclusive being on the African continent mm-hmm. rather than kind of in Europe, which is mm. good. And hopefully we'll be able to kind of grow on some of the criticisms, but kind of turn those into some positives for the next one. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you again, Laura. I know, like, you know, you must be so busy kind of coming back after those two weeks and then a week away. And I know you've got all your, you've been doing loads of media stuff, haven't you? I, I sort of said the Sky thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a really kind of fun thing that came out of COP. So the Sky Climate Show, who do this kind of half hour every evening, they decided to kind of put on almost 24-7 coverage of the conference and had lots of different people. So I became what I now know is called a press friend, presenter friend. That was the lingo. They asked me what to do and I thought, I have no idea what that means. And <laughs> it meant you just are there for them to kind of turn to every right. so and go, what do you think? What's your yes. opinion? Or what yes. does this mean? And so I've now kind of got the opportunity to do that on a monthly basis with them. 
so I'll be kind of brought on to comment on the day's news, which is great. And so, um, but one of my roles with Tier Fund during the two weeks was to be a kind of spokesperson. Because mm, you did lots with uh, like Scottish news and all sorts, didn't you? Yeah, which was really fun, actually, to kind of come on and comment. And although I was there with an organisation, my organisation, it's also kind of nice to say, well, I'm almost a bi- an unbiased, you know, mm, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. here to actually tell you what it, how it is. You yeah, know, I'm yeah, not yeah. a politician who has to stick to a party line. I'm Fair just going to say yeah. exactly what everyone's feeling. And I think, you know, it was also funny, especially at the end, because, you know, some people were like, oh, yeah, there's a real sense among the room that... Um, this- the light's just gone off on Laura. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You know, I think there were some people who were asked, oh, what's the sense in the room? And people were like, it's a really positive sense. And I just come in going, no, it's not. You're so like, no. And, I, and I'm going, well, you don't know what the sense in the room is because you're not in the room. You're right, off yeah. somewhere, you know. And so sometimes I was like, let me just actually tell you how people are feeling because I'm a regular person who's mm. in here and I can just say how it is. So I'm excited to kind of check away at more of that in the next little while. Um, yeah, which will be fun. And from a tier fund perspective as well, because obviously you were there sort of working with them. What's next for them? Kind of where does this leave the work that you guys do? I guess it's just to kind of keep pushing. Mm. One of the big things that we're trying to do is is exactly what we were talking about earlier, which is not getting people to wait around. You know, we can encourage. um, So tier funds are Christian organisations. So we do a lot of work through churches. Mm -hmm. So we are like, how can churches like play their part? Both as like big, huge buildings that mm. could be better, but also as like congregations of people. Of How community. can we get people to yeah. like engage in this? So a part of it is that it's about just trying to enable people to go out, think about this mm. and take action. And also to fundraise for all of the different projects that mm. we support our partners, because ultimately at the end of the day, and this is what this like full circle back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, which is like there are people being impacted right yeah. now. Like yeah, and yeah. they they need support and while Jeff Bezos and other world leaders aren't coughing up, like, guess what? Regular people fill mm-hmm. that gap, which is sad, you know, but, but ultimately that's, you know, what we can also do is say to our partners, we're, we're going to try to get you funding so that even though you're, you know, even though world leaders aren't giving the money that mm-hmm. you deserve and that is needed, we're going to try and fund you. So there's lots of different things that kind of tier funds doing. And um, one of the great things was helping our activists meet up with some of the delegates from their own countries respectively and then they can kind of continue that relationship on as well which is quite great to do campaigning not just in the UK but also around the world yeah oh well I hope you're not having too much of a a kind of you know come down after it must have just been like (laughs) running on adrenaline for for two weeks running on adrenaline and iron brew I heard there was a lot of that oh I had so much iron brew like I love it normally but oh my gosh my poor (laughs) teeth my dentist will be like oh my goodness Oh, you're an absolute superstar and so articulate and yeah, brilliant at at all this communication stuff. So thank you so much. You're absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. You've been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, 
do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.